The Echo Chamber, brought to you by The Homes Report and produced by the international broadcast specialist, Marketeers. And sponsored by March Communications, connecting innovation and people. Hi everyone and welcome to the Echo Chamber. This is Maya Pavinska-Sims, the Homes Report's Europe, Middle East and Africa editor and I'm in a rather breezy London today, although no tornadoes or hurricanes thankfully, with Brendan May who's chairman of sustainability advisory firm Roberts Bridge which he founded in 2009. Brendan, welcome to the Echo Chamber. Thanks Maya. Um, so Brendan, you've worked with uh, all manner of big companies and brands on stuff like sustainability strategy, supply chain risk sustainable sourcing, uh, reputation and crisis management, and you also walk the talk. You've been chief executive of the Marine Stewardship Council, European chairman of the Rainforest Alliance, and you're a regular commentator on the whole breadth of corporate responsibility issues, for for want of a better term. And our paths have obviously crossed before. We know each other a little bit while you were running Weber Shamwick's sustainability practice before you started Roberts Bridge. Um, I don't know a lot about what you're doing there now. Can you tell me a bit about how Roberts Bridge came about and and the work you're doing at the um, consultancy? Yes, absolutely. Um, I set up Roberts Bridge nine years ago um, with a group of like-minded people a lot of them had been former heads of NGOs like me or had worked in sustainable business and they were friends really and I found myself at a bit of a crossroads um, and so did they. So we had a few dinners and I think all of us were planning to set up as freelance advisors and strategic advisors to businesses and I sort of suggested, well, why don't we get together and see what happens? And it was a complete punt, really. Um, we didn't have an office. We still don't. We didn't want employees. We still don't. Um, but we found that by working together, um, the clients sort of came to us um, very quickly. And I decided to do that because when I was working in the big agency world, um, there were a lot of people there, very good people in their 40s, early 50s, who sort of wanted to leave and wished they'd set up on their own, but had left it too late. Um, Mortgages to pay, school fees, so on. And I looked at those people, and at the time I didn't yet have children, and I I thought, if I don't do this now, I'm never going to do it. And I also found big agency life a little constraining in terms of being able to implement the kind of sustainability advice that I believe companies need. Um, And I felt it was a little bit CSR eye candy at the pitch. And I wanted to do something a bit more than that. And so what what are you doing that's more than that at Roberts Bridge? So at Roberts Bridge, we are brought in to be critical friends. And we're very honest with our clients. And I I think one of the challenges for the PR industry is its approach tends to be the answer's yes. What's the question? Right. And I, I can't work like that. What we tend to say is you might be asking the wrong question. And we're quite clear with clients about, based on our experience and our knowledge and our our networks, of what will and won't fly. Mm. And sometimes they listen to us and sometimes they don't. And and that's okay. So how does that that go down, that approach? They're not used to that, presumably, for most their advisors. I I think it it works for us Mm. um, because quite often what we end up with, I mean, if, if you take companies in Southeast Asia, for example, these huge conglomerates, they found themselves on the end of NGO campaigns, Mm. very vociferous ones. And historically, the route has been first go to the lawyers, sue them, sue Greenpeace. (laughs) Terrible idea. Then when that doesn't work, they go to PR um, and they want counterfactuals, Mm. change the message, change the story. That doesn't work because it's not addressing the fundamentals of the business. And what we do is 
a number of things. So we do long-term sustainability strategy. So what are the fit-for-purpose things you need in place to be future-proofed in terms of the risks to your business of an unstable climate, of supply chain volatility, and so on? Where are your gaps in your performance? So that's the under-the-bonnet stuff. And then how do you engage, not communicate to, not talk at, but engage with the, the right audiences to win the trust that you need to take them on the journey? Um, so we do a lot of mediation and brokerage between companies and activists. We do a lot of stakeholder consultation, roundtables and so on. We don't do PR, but we do a lot of communications advice in terms oh. of the narrative, the message. And we sometimes act, we work alongside a lot of agencies. We act as a sort of um, editorial board or kind of sanity checker of propositions that companies want to put out there. And then all the ad hoc sustainability advice as and when things arise. So we're a sort of bridge and a critical friend. Mm. Um, and we can only do what we do because broadly, not not all, but most of the big NGOs from, from whence we came trust us that we are not there to simply um, greenwash or box tick what our clients are doing because we're not interested in that. And this is all, uh, it's more under the radar stuff than a classic comms agency as well. You're talking about brokerage. This isn't stuff that you're going to be able to win big awards for. Can you give me an example of something you're really proud of actually achieving where tangible change happened as a result of you having that critical friend position? Well, I think there are probably a couple. I mean, if you take the strategy stuff, um, we were... Uh, involved in the uh, Heathrow 2.0 sustainabilities plan. Mm. It's a very controversial topic, airport expansion and airports in general. But even critics of airport expansion have agreed that it's probably the best plan of its type for any airport in the world. And it's a very, very multifaceted uh, plan that spans not just environment, but social skills, education, mm-hmm. um, communities and, and so on. And it's, it's quite new. Um, and We've been able to have a dialogue with uh, critics of Heathrow about that, which has been a grown-up discussion, not a bum fight. There's still a bum fight going on in public, and and that's okay. But I'm quite proud of that. And the other um, work we did was there's a very large palm oil company in Malaysia, IOI Group. Um, They lost a huge number of customers on the back of a Greenpeace boycott campaign. And we were brought in to basically mediate. And it took a long time. It took a year. And still not everything's perfect. And IOI would acknowledge that. Um, But it did result in a sort of truce between the two groups. And IOI put in place some quite ambitious um, additions to their policy, which were welcomed uh, by a number of, of stakeholders. And that, that was a very difficult, because that was a very polarised mm. situation, and it took a long time to untangle. But I don't think we'd have been able to do that had we not been able to win the trust of both sides. Well, and that's yeah, quite important. That's absolutely kind of the opposite of some of the ethical arguments we have about um professional ethics in the PR industry as well. There's a will on both sides to to meet in the middle rather than that kind of polarised um, piece, which uh, it seems to be the dominate public discourse at the moment. But when, when we're looking at sustainability in the context of comms consultancy, uh, which is the world you know very well, what are we talking about? Well, um, a, a very mixed mm. picture, I would say. I mean, I think there's a, I think there's a systemic problem. There's some great agencies out there, um, the specialist ones that do environmental communications, um, do fantastic work. Um, the smaller, the, the easier, of course, um, in terms of that cultural requirement in an agency. I think the big ones struggle uh, because they don't culturally, uh, they haven't made the shift yet 
because they are always chasing the next brief and the next pitch and perfectly understandable reasons. But one of the reasons that the world is collapsing around us is quarterly targets. Yeah. Uh, it's the problem with sustainable finance. It's mm. the problem with short-term thinking on climate change, on investment in infrastructure. It, it's, a, it, it's the reason that we haven't really got an energy policy. I mean, there are all these factors. And, of course, the PR industry is going to mirror that. But I think that uh, and what's happened over the years is, you know, the big agency have brought in some big hires to, to, to sort of be the token sustainability person. But there's a huge problem, which is that the, the cultural change at the top has not happened um, because it's great to have a sustainability practice in a large agency. Oh. You can't really not have one because clients are increasingly focused on this topic. But it doesn't really work if then another part of your organization is working on something that is completely counter to that. Right. Um, and it might be in another office in another part of the world. But this comes up all the time. And I don't think that... Um, yet we've seen the kind of values driven this is what we stand for mm. this is what we will and won't work on stuff what we've seen is sporadic blow-ups like when Edelman got into trouble years ago about work they were doing on climate stuff which they then stopped climate denial um, we see these little I remember when WPP started sustainability reporting but then, mm. then it got into trouble because of some of its clients so it kind of pops up and down but I've not really seen um, a big global group become the the Unilever of PR, yeah. if you like. And do you think the PR industry? I mean, quite apart from all those kind of external, internal tensions and and difficulties, do you think the public relations industry really gets sustainability? Uh, apart from the odd expert uh, within a within or, or the odd kind of specialist practice, do you think it's something that the industry understands fully enough, given that it's such a it covers such a major um, range of really important societal and environmental issues now. No. To be absolutely honest, I mean, I, I, I would have to say no. Mm. And, and it's a very complex ecosystem. Yeah. You know, the, 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 the politics of NGOs, who, by the way, all disagree with each other. Yeah. Um, the complexities of the issues themselves. So at the moment, you know, huge thing around plastic. All plastic's got to be biodegradable. That'll, that'll solve the, the problem. Well, it's not going to degrade if it's... Um, at a certain depth in the ocean, because if it can't get sun, it's not biodegradable, all these kinds of things. And in fairness, part of the challenge is that the campaigning groups have not themselves um, presented clear solutions or clear messaging right. as to what we need to do, because as you know, people want simple uh, solutions. They, oh. They'll do it if they're clear about what they're being asked to do. But a lot of the NGOs disagree on those things. There are huge disagreements about whether biotechnology has a role or not. What's the role of nuclear power, et cetera, yeah. et cetera. But, but it's also up to the industry to educate itself on where this is going. One of the things that seems to happen is the PR industry jumps on fads. Right now, it's brand purpose. Yes. Brand purpose is the new thing. Um, well, some people already think it's an old thing. Uh, but whether it's a new thing or an old thing, there's a lot of chat about it. That's terrific. And Nike's just made a huge kind of intervention in that, in that space with, um, with the Copernic stuff. It's great everyone's talking about brand purpose. And I keep seeing PR agencies congratulating Nike for, for doing what they've done. But they're not doing it mm. themselves. Um, and it's a bit like that with sustainability is 
it wasn't the PR industry that went to the consumer goods companies and said, by the way, there's a car crash coming down the track. Mm. There's this going on with the climate. There's this going on with human rights and and environmental destruction in rainforests. This is coming down the line very fast. There's going to be a huge debate about um, synthetic biology, all these things. You need to be across it. No, what actually happened was the companies went to the PR agencies and said, we're doing a lot on sustainability. Can you please help us communicate it? And I've been to events at which clients have been educating their agencies about sustainability. I mean, this strikes me as completely the wrong way around. And I've also been in situations where a client has talked about an NGO that they work with, and I've watched people in an agency Googling that NGO to find out what on earth it does. Yeah. That, that You can't give good mm. advice on that basis. It's quite chicken and egg, though, isn't it? Because the, the NGOs and organisations who are committed to sustainability need to get their messaging clearer. They need to learn to communicate better so people respond more quickly and, and, and take it on board more quickly. And yet the, the, the advisors, I mean, for the most part, the, the advisors, they would rely on to help them sort out that comm strategy and messaging and uh, um, implementation aren't necessarily all over it themselves. So you, it kind of gets down to a bit of a lowest common denominator position where it's not necessarily reflecting the complexity of, of, of the situation. And the, the agency can congratulate itself on being, oh, we do sustainability stuff all over that. Um, but have they actually really affected any, any change? You're right. And a lot of the interventions at the agency level are stunts. Mm. And some of them are brilliant. I mean, I don't know which agency did that stunt when the Maldives cabinet met underwater um, to raise awareness of of, um, rising oceans and the impact on the Maldives. Whoever came up with that was brilliant, but it was a stunt. But it had a longevity about it that a lot of stunts don't. For most agencies, it's kind of, let's float something down the Thames made of recycled blah. Oh, come on, it's not and, that bad, Brendan. And that's how it goes. And there's no <laughs> there's no um, sustainability, dare yeah, I say, it, no. of, the, of the execution. No, you're now, quite that, right. Some of that's down to the client as well. They mm. want a quick, you know, um, awareness raising for something that they've done. But I think the the nature of this stuff i mean you don't have to be einstein to see the sustainability challenge that the world is facing Mm. i mean this stuff is all over the news every day and it doesn't take a brain surgeon to work out you know who might be useful ambassadors uh, or third-party advocates Mm. for a particular uh, product or service or campaign I saw something the other day. It was a a company that's trying to recruit a sustainability advisory panel. And they'd gone to their public affairs agency to make recommendations as to who should sit on this panel. The names that came back were a car crash in terms of the environmental community. Given that this panel was supposed to lend credibility to this company's efforts, there were people on there who were not just lacking credibility they were actually red rags to bulls when it came to environmentalists now and this public affairs agency is is a kind of top end you know quite quite a prestigious one and i just don't understand how those recommendations could have been made and that to me is an illustrator of a fundamental systemic flaw Mm. and that people who should know better are giving poor advice and we see that all the time We, we 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 see 
companies fall flat on their face when they try to fight back at an NGO campaign without addressing the substantial issues. We see it when companies work with front groups or put up, you know, websites and saying the myths that have been mm. leveled at us. And and it never works. Yeah. It, it never works. The way to, to work it is to engage it, to take the suggestions, to view these people as critical friends. And it's in your interest to do that because then you are future-proofing your own business. So give me some examples of... Um where you've seen agencies do good work in supporting companies and organisations, where, where the partnership has worked, everyone's clearly understood what the issue is and they've come up with something that's more than just awareness raising, which still, you know, I've been writing award entries, as you know, for 20 years. And the, if that's the objective of anything, it still makes me kind of want to hit my head on the desk. But because uh, this is all much more long term and more serious than that. So, but give me some examples where it's gone beyond awareness raising and you've seen good work being done on behalf of NGOs and other organisations in this arena. Well, I think when, uh, can I talk about specific companies? I, mean, I can give very old examples. No, yes, um, give but, me some good examples. I mean, I, I think that the work that, that Kenko, who are not a client, by the way, of mine, um, did many years ago on coffee sustainability, mm. and their agency did some very good work around uh, raising awareness of that. And, and it, was quite a, it was quite a delicate one because the scheme that Kenko were using was seen as a rival to fair trade, which obviously has a very established uh, place in the hearts of many people in this country. And they did it well. And then they they expanded it into educating people about um, gangs in Central America and South America. And it, it it was a good piece of work. Unfortunately, I don't think it was then Um, escalated to the degree that it could have been. Mm. I think there are agencies that when a client has given them a really solid proposition and has themselves done or used someone like us to do the due diligence with NGOs, so when, when the product is kind of good to go, then of course creative heads come in and they can do a good job with it. But this awards business, I mean, I I do not know anybody outside the PR industry who values getting an award for a PR campaign. I, I I see it on the bottom of people's signatures. I don't get it because it seems to me that that's just people backslapping each other. I I do not understand the whole model of it because at the end of the day, when you go and talk to a CEO in Indonesia or in Malaysia or wherever it is, those logos at the bottom mean absolutely nothing Mm. to them when they've lost half of their client base because they've accidentally chopped a rainforest down in Borneo. I I simply don't understand it. No, it's it's bigger than all that, isn't it? Which is probably part of the problem. It's it's long-term grown up stuff what what can go wrong you've touched a little bit on uh conflicts of interest um pr agencies maybe completely earnestly and uh with with all good intentions doing work for organizations which then becomes unsustainable itself because of client conflict or um or other reasons. T- tell me what can go wrong when agencies uh, are working with clients in the area of sustainability well, all of those things you mentioned, I mean, the, and with environmental stuff and, and corporate responsibility stuff, it, the, the nature of conflicts has, has changed. So it used to be, you know, if you work for Nestle, you can't work for Unilever, mm. for example. It's, not, it's, it's a lot more subtle um, than that now. Uh, but sustainability is a point of competition for companies. And for sectors, health is the same. I remember years ago, there was a company that got itself into some difficulty because it had a huge fizzy drink company as a client, but it also had the US milk industry as a client. And those two things were in conflict. And the uh, one or the other put out a 
a kind of campaign that effectively undermined the other as a product choice. Mm. And the agency had to relinquish one of those um, two clients. I think this conflict thing is fundamental. You cannot go and pitch your wares to, for example, a development NGO if another part of your organization is working for companies which are undermining human rights mm. in developing countries. It does not stack up. It is not acceptable behavior. And it gets smoked out. Mm. I mean, we all know about Bell Pottinger, it's been done to death. But Bell Pottinger is not an isolated case. Mm. It absolutely is not. And I know, and we all know, that there are companies that, that, guess what, don't enter some of their less savoury clients for the award schemes uh, because they're under the radar. Mm. And at some point, you've got to make a choice. Um, you can't chase every brief if half of what you're doing in another market is in, is directly in conflict with those uh, values. So, to, you know, we, let's talk a little bit more about brand purpose. Do you think that PR firms, or to what extent are PR firms preaching or um, saying they can handle sustainable briefs, um, that they're all over brand purpose, that they're ethical, do, when they don't necessarily mirror these values internally? Do, do you see a lot of that? Yeah, there, there is a lot of it. And as we said before, brand purpose is the, is the current buzzword. I happen to believe in it very strongly. And I'll tell you why. The polarisation of global politics as a result of Trump, Brexit and other things, oh. is starting to mean that the old mantra that it's not a company's role to have a view on those issues has changed. Oh. You can't really be a company in the United States now and not have a view on gun control. Yeah. <clears throat> it's very difficult. And <clears throat> it's becoming clear as well with Brexit and, and the, the, the social divisions that that is uh, causing whatever side of the fence you're on doesn't matter. You've kind of got to have an opinion. And there are certain issues, climate change, gun control, um, racial division, mm. where companies are having to kind of make a call because they're having to decide what kind of c customers do we want to have in the future mm. and what kind of values do we need to have to attract and retain those customers. And so brand purpose to me, I mean, whether you like the phrase or not, doesn't matter, is, is absolutely fundamental. But I don't believe that the world of agencies has defined its own brand purpose. Okay. So it'll be a bit like sustainability. It's the, oh, yeah, you've absolutely got to do sustainability. Totally agree. You know, I remember when Al Gore did his film, what was it, 12 years ago, mm. you, there wasn't an American CEO of an agency in the, you know, anywhere who wasn't talking about climate change. But what they did not then do was go back to their own offices and say, right, I want a climate policy. I want to know what we're doing as an agency. What are we doing to reduce travel? What are we doing about video conferencing? Oh. There was a bit of it, but not enough. And meanwhile, all the clients were doing precisely that. Oh. Um, and brand purpose risks becoming that sort of thing. It's like, oh, yeah, well done, Nike. That's really bold. But, well, you didn't think of it. Well, everyone's got a brand purpose practice this year. It's like last year everyone was making their first TV ad and this year everyone's got a brand purpose practice. You you obviously believe strongly about it. You brought Sarah Vaughan on board as your chief purpose advisor in the year. You've said this is really your thing. Is it, is it just, a, do consumers really care? I mean, is this, I mean, I hear the word future-proofing your business quite a lot. How much and which groups of consumers care most about whether a brand um, states its purpose and can uh, back up that that's really in its DNA. Well, I think it's interesting because you see the 
the the backlash against companies that, if you like, end up on the wrong side of this mm. argument. So after the, I think it was the Parkland massacre, there was a big campaign to end the the discounts that NRA members in the United States get uh, with things like uh, hire car companies. I, I can't oh, remember yeah. whether it was Hertz or Avis, but anyway, a lot of that shifted because consumers watching children being murdered in schools were not happy that members of the NRA, which is a famously vociferous lobby group for against gun control, uh, were enjoying um, these benefits. The recent Nike um, Copernic thing, I mean, the share price is up, um, not a surprise, but sales have risen 31%, mm. um, I think, in the, in the days after that was launched. So in a sense, the numbers speak for themselves. Some of it is more subtle and long-term. Um, we know that Marks and Spencers, for example, again, not a client of mine, just to be clear, but there's an inherent trust in that brand, mm. which is built up over a very long period of time. Your question is very pertinent. Do consumers really care? Do they, you know, the reality is no. Most consumers are not saying, can I just check that the label on your fish is the one I want and that it's exactly sourced mm. in the way that I demand? No, they're not. They sort of trust M&S to do it properly for them. But that's built up over a very long period of time. Another company like Boots, also not a client, but there's a sort of trust that Boots um, is on it when it comes to your health and your safety and product sustainability. Now, some of that trust may be misplaced or it may be overly optimistic, but these things are quite subtle. I think with brand purpose, it will it will peak when there's a topical issue, racial division in America, gun control, plastics. Look at plastics, mm. you know, huge interest in that, a lot of concern. I think consumers really do care about that because it's very clear when you go into a pub or a restaurant that already... Yeah. They have removed the plastic straws. No now they plastic haven't. Straws. They haven't removed the plastic straws because someone's done a huge campaign. It's because actually mm. consumers have been saying, "I don't want this plastic straw because it might kill a turtle." Yeah. And so some of them are subtle. Some of them are peak issues that 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 come and go. Um, but but I don't think you can. I don't think you can operate in the world we're now living in, and not have a view, whatever it is, mm. on the climate crisis on the social inequality, on racism, on social division. I don't think you can afford to be in business and not have a position. And do you think CEOs are getting better with support from their advisors at articulating that position? Or are, they, are there still areas where they're reluctant to speak up? I, I think they are. And, and this, is, this to me is the great kind of beacon of hope is, is CEO activism. Mm. Um, I sat next to a CEO at a dinner about 10 years ago, and I was ranting away at him about these sorts of things. Are you ranting, Brendan? Never. I can't believe it. And, and he said, he said, Brendan, you've got to remember, you know, I'm a chief executive, not an activist. That chief executive mm. has gone on to be very much an activist, okay. and he's still a chief executive. And I think it's very encouraging because, um, and some of it is done by quite niche brands like Patagonia, the CEO of Patagonia, the founder, mm. is a massive activist. He's suing Donald Trump in the US, I mean, it, uh, over environmental issues. Wow. Really interesting and very publicly, mm. and of course, carrying his customer base with him uh, about the watering down of environmental legislation. Um, and it's easier to be a CEO activist in a company like Patagonia than it is to be maybe in a company like, I don't know, Nestle or yeah. whoever. But CEOs themselves driving this agenda is what makes the change. You will not find a single company that is a leader on sustainability in any sector where it has not been driven by the chief executive. Mm. There isn't one. And at the end of the day, 
a bit like in a PR firm, when the CEO speaks, everyone listens. Um, and you tend to find the companies that sort of bob along for years doing okay, they're in the pack, it's all right, but nothing spectacular, are the ones whose chief executive is occasionally given a script to read once a year at a conference. The companies that are the change makers are the one where the chief executive has said, um, I spoke to my children at the weekend about plastic. Why are we selling this? Mm. I don't want this anymore. What are we doing about it? And suddenly, surprise, surprise, everything shifts. So tell me a little bit, let's just get back to the role of agencies in all of this. What are the opportunities for PR agencies in this whole new brands being vocal, CEO activism, this that particular sector of the sustainability comms um, uh, arena? What, what are the opportunities here? To be bold, to be audacious, to do the unthinkable, to be disruptive, to be creative. You know, I may criticize the communications industry, but I know very well my limitations that I am not a creative thinker. Mm. So I, I, can, I can go and do the deal between Greenpeace and somebody, but I can't bring it to life in an amazing way that you're going to go, oh, wow, that's, that's got me thinking. That's not, that's not my job and it's not my skill. I've always bemoaned the fact that there is this disconnect between sustainability practitioners and creatives. We speak different languages. Now, I'm, I'm a little bit in the middle because I'm a sort of jack of all trades and a master of none. I'm not a, a, I'm not a sustainability auditing nerd, but I'm also not good material for a creative director of a, of a, of a public relations agency. Mm. And I'm quite envious sometimes when I see a really creative campaign in the environment. I thought, God, I wish I'd thought of that. But the opportunity is, is to be bold. And I still think that agencies are too timid to tell their clients what they think their clients need to hear. Mm. It's that thing about the answers, yes, what's the question? To me, you know, you're asking the wrong question. What if you did it this way? And I think there's an appetite for that. And I think the appetite for that to some degree flows out of this increased interest by CEOs in driving change. Mm. So the CEO of Iceland uh, at the moment, also not a client, just to be clear, but the CEO of Iceland's Got, got a voice now around plastics mm. and, and palm oil and, and stuff that he's doing. He's made a decision to be an activist on this stuff. And he's getting plaudits for that. And, and he should do. Mm. You know, and, and so he should. The CEOs of other retailers, not so much. So I'm going to take Be Bold as your first top three tips for agencies who want to genuinely want to get better at this stuff, not just to you know, uh, ride the sustainability and brand purpose bandwagon, but but believe that there's there's something they can add in terms of value here. Apart from being bold, what would be your other uh, two or three tips for agencies who, who really do want to get better? Well, I think, to be honest, the headline one actually is, what are you for? What okay. do you, st what is your... It's quite existential. What is your brand purpose? Uh, yeah. You know, we'll start with the agency itself. Yeah. yeah. Are you are we going to accept any old brief that comes in from this oil company in far remote land and so on? Is that are we up for that? Um, no, actually, maybe we're not because it's in conflict with our values. So until you know what your own values are, mm. you can't really make that decision. So firstly, what are you for? And then how do we embed this in our culture mm. as an organization? And that means attracting, retaining the right kinds of people who get it, who want it, and who understand that ecosystem. So they know the complex landscape that you have to work in to get this stuff right. And then it's, you've almost got a license to operate with mm. clients to say, we've done this. Now we can be bold. Yeah. We'd like you to be bold. This is how we think you should, you know, um, 
push the push the agenda forward. It's the unthinkable, it's disruptive. But you can't do that if you're not coming from an organisation that itself has that mindset mm. because it has no credibility. No, I mean, that's that's obviously an absolute key point. Start with the cred- internal credibility and then you've got, as you said, a licence to operate. Um, Brendan, I think we'll, we'll wind it up there. It's been great to chat, absolutely fascinating to hear all about this stuff. Uh, we'll see if, if anything changes. Um, and thanks so much for joining me in the Echo Chamber. Thanks very much. You've been listening to the Echo Chamber. Brought to you by The Homes Report and produced by Marketeers. Sponsored by March Communications, connecting innovation and people.